This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and after a lifetime as an athlete and a coach, and with a continued love of skiing, I wanted to take a deep dive and have honest conversations with the sport's most successful athletes, coaches, and forward thinkers. So join me in my pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Sasha Rurik and Warren Jabot. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's good to have you here. First, let me say thanks to all of you for liking, listening, rating, reviewing, subscribing, wherever you find this podcast. We really appreciate the impact that you're making. And also thanks to those who have taken the time to share your own thoughts of the day with us at The Next Turn podcast. I've had a chance to reach out and chat with some of those people over the last few days and record their thoughts of the day for an upcoming episode. And boy, do we have some smart and engaged listeners. And speaking of smart and engaged I am joined, as always, by Jeff Bybert and Kara Williams. Jeff, can you do us a favor and give us some hard facts on today's guest? Of course, Martin. Sasha Rierich, 19 years with the U.S. ski team, 10 years as a men's head coach, and of course coached greats like Ted Ligety, Bodie Miller, and a whole lot more. Spent the last three years as a development team coach, has worked on Project 26, the 26 Olympic program, and soon to be performance director at the new Academy Apex 2100 team in Teen France. You know, Martin, Sasha knows a thing or two about skiing and ski racing. That is for sure. What a great conversation. He has a lot to say. It was incredible, uh, interesting. And I, as you say, you dorked out. I, I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I hope our listeners do too. He has a lot to say about what's fundamental in skiing, but fundamental in intrinsic motivation, talent, and otherwise. Kara, what do you have to say about Warren Jobbett? Well, Warren Jobbett has over 30 years experience in the ski instructing side of the sport. So he's a level four instructor and a Canadian Ski Instructor Alliance course conductor, which led him to a year round gig developing manuals an education material as the program director for Western Canada. Warren spent 16 years on Canada's inter-ski team and eight years as the head coach and has recently opened the Warren job at Snow Sports Academy based in Alberta. So this guy knows the ins and outs of a ski term, Martin, and I'm looking forward to listening in while you dork down with these two legendary guys. So they both have a wealth of knowledge in ski improvement, teaching methodology and ski technique. And I'm a big proponent of continuing education for snow pros and race coaches. I'm also interested in hearing how Sasha and Warren have been able to adapt to the changing techniques and equipment. And in Sasha's uh, case, snow prep, because as you know, the sport of skiing, especially ski racing has evolved tremendously in the past 15, 10, and even five years. Can't wait to hear it. Uh, well, dork down I did, and I loved it. We got the chance to talk to the cream of the crop of the best ski instructors in Canada and one of the best coaches in the United States. And I approached this conversation wanting to see what beliefs they shared and where their differences were. And throughout the conversations, I was more than pleasantly surprised with how much they had in common. So here's our conversation with Warren Jobbett and Sasha Rerick on the next There's a lot of talk about talent development versus talent identification with young kids. At, at Let's take a 14-year-old. Let's start with talent identification. When you look at a, a, a U14 skier, I'm not even going to use the term athlete yet, a U14 skier, what are the skills that, you're, that you want to, to see in them? What are you looking for that piques your interest and go, that kid is doing something cool? I think you got to, we have to define what talent is. And I, in my role, this last three years ago, I defined talent as something that has nothing to really do with specific to skiing. Because I looked at what was the intangibles that as a teacher, I can't bring to the equation. And those were three things, heart, mind, and balls. Heart is that intrinsic motivation to give the 100% effort every single day to get better. That's that fire. That kid has got the fire. That's this love of getting better, love of the sport. You can't give that to somebody. You can't teach that. They got to have that. So that's, that's number one. The mind is, is, is a present mind, a mind that can be focused. 
that can bring focus to attention to what's important at a time. They can be sporadic, but when it comes time to doing business, when the pressure's on, can they focus on what matters? Though there are skills you can work on to get better at that and all that, but that's like, you know, clearly something that's, that's, that's you're born with and you're, you need to have to be able to execute at the highest level. For sure, we make those things better. And the last one's courage, balls, courage. Courage to go fast is one, that's obvious, but courage more so to dedicate yourself to something. Dedicate yourself to, 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 to pursuit of excellence and self. That takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there saying, I'm going there, I may fail, I'm gonna fail many times, but I'm gonna keep getting back up and doing it again. It takes tremendous courage. So that's, to me, that's what talent's about, heart, mind, and balls. Now, to bring it back to your question on skiing, when I watch a U14 skiing, this is where I think ski teaching, ski coaching needs to come together and realize that the silhouette of a skier, when they're a World Cup skier, you look at Benny Reich, you look at Marcel Hirscher, you look at Ted Ligeti, you look at Michaela Schifrin, the general style that they fit. If you go back and watch video of them as U14, second year U14s, the spring of their U14, the style, the silhouette of their skiing is very similar. So I think the work that needs to be done is that they ski fundamentally correct by, you know, their last year U14. Are they skiing perfect? By no means, but they're skiing fundamentally pretty correct. That they have a style of skiing that's going to be adaptable for the future. We don't know what exactly is ski racing going to be in the future. Is it going to be straight? Is it going to be faster? Is it going to be more technical? So their general style is an adaptable style. And then the most important thing, go like, are they imbalanced? Are they in balance? Because if they're in balance, then you can do a lot of work. You can express yourself in many different ways. So those are the warning. You almost see Jeff there. That's right in your wheelhouse. The balance. We talked the other day about balance and how important it is, and it's the one great thing. What are your thoughts on that? What Sasha's saying? Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> like your your uh, heart, mind, and balls. That's uh, <laughs> that's a pretty fantastic thought way to look at it. Uh, and the, the idea of the silhouette, I think the, to me, the, the similarity in the silhouette, I would look at those skiers and, you know, say the best instructors that I've worked with and you're right. It all boils down to the way that they move to achieve balancing as a dynamic process, right? That it's a, it's an ever-changing way to move your body. So you're really in the middle of the outside ski. You know, at, at the end of the day, if you're not there, you're going to struggle. Um, you'll go slow on a race course and you're going to stumble in the bumps or on a steep, icy pitch or whatever it might be. So um, that's kind of where I look at, at skiing is trying to define some very basic movement patterns, not even patterns, just movements that will get you from a place, maybe be it on your inside ski or in the back of the outside ski or the front of the outside ski. Um, to the middle of it. And, uh, you know, it can vary front back a little bit, right? You know, you know especially in a performance arc, but uh, in the end of the day, the middle of the outside ski is going to be where you can utilize then the equipment, what it's designed to do and then prescribe an outcome. And if, if those few movement patterns are understood, what I should call contribution and effect, you know, if I give, if I have this much uh, degree of you know separation you know I if I've got too much I'm on my heels if I don't have enough I'm you know on the front you know too far in the front of the boot or on my toes and um, it will allow me to do some things and well and other things not as well and but if there's a tie into that understanding the contribution what's the effect of that will I you know am I going to be able to is it going to be a carved or a skidded arc is it going to be a big or a small arc. And if we don't have that connection um, to what the outcome is, then, you know, balance for the sake of balance, when I see instructors or coaches working that way, becomes a static position, right? They're trying to look like a still photo of Ligeti, right? When, when Ligeti started to revolutionize the way he, you know, skiers look, the silhouette <laughs> sort of thing that, you know, I saw people say, oh, look at the snapshot and position yourself so you look like him sort of thing without understanding how he got there for that one one hundredth of one one thousandth of a second and how he got out of that later right this the frame before and the frame after is 
very rarely shown and understood by the people who are coaching and teaching. I love the idea of movements, not positions. And um, Sasha, do you speak a lot about when you're talking to coaches who are teaching these younger kids, the emphasis on movement patterns as opposed to positions? So I think, I think we need to take a step back for a second and, and talk the difference between kind of uh, fundamentals, skills, and technique. And, you know, I think there's movements to maintain balance. And those movements, we can talk about them inside the body as a technique. You're supposed to move this way, this way at this time. Or you can talk about them outside the body. I want you to be able to bend the tip of the ski. I want you to bend the, the middle of the ski. I want you to bend the outside, the tail of the ski at different times of the turns. So those movements are one internally processed or externally processed. And um, so, and then that would be more on the technique side of things. I think there's certain fundamentals that we can just use as understanding that these are basic fundamentals of the sport. Just like in soccer, you kick the ball, you catch the, you catch the, you kick the ball, you receive the ball, you pass the ball, you shoot the ball, you throw it in the ball. Those are kind of bigger concepts. So I think we need to break it down. What are we talking about um, a little bit? Um, but in movements, I would say to, to just counter a little bit what you're saying is I do talk about positions a little bit more than maybe you would think. And that's because at the apex, if you're, if you're positioned at the apex, when the force is biggest, if you're in a position that is, let's say, uh, out of balance. How you got there, how you get there, it doesn't matter. Like how you get there, it's like if you're in balance at the apex, that's what matters. So I, I do talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like your basic position when you start a squat. You start when you're receiving a ball in tennis, your basic position when you start. So I kind of, I see it that way. It's like, you're going to go from this basic position to this basic position to handle the force of the turn. So I do talk about that. How you get there, there's a many, many, many different ways you can get there. Mm -hmm. And if I do talk about those movements, it's more outside the body, external feedback or external focus. Let's go back and talk specifically about what you see those fundamentals as. Uh, for me, they're real clear. Uh, basic athletic stance, balance and athletic stance. Um, any position of turn, are you in balance? So we can stop the turn anywhere. Are you in balance or are you out of balance? Um, are you in a good stance that allows you to move in any way you want? I define balance as can the athlete move in any way he or she wants at any time? That's it. So um, that's number one. Number two is we, we generally ski on the outside ski, which means we ski from outside ski to outside ski, which means there's an active weight transfer from one, from one foot to the other. That active weight transfer can happen in many different places in the turn. But um, there's, there's an activeness compared to a passive weight transfer. Um, so the third fundamental is that the upper body is, is discipline. So from the pelvis to the shoulders, we have discipline. If we need to rotate, we rotate. If we need to counter, we counter. Um, if we need to inclinate, we can inclinate. If we need to angulate, we angulate. But there's discipline there. Warren, do you see it any differently there? No, not at all. Not at all, I think. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, balance, balancing, you know, places where you would know if you were in balance or not, you know, your heel pad, your met head, your shin contact, you know, those are three things that I talk about all the time, you know, how much pressure weight do you feel in those three points, but if you lose any one of them, then, you, you know, you know, you're probably out of balance, right at that point. Um, you know, I like the idea of, the you know, upper body discipline, the ability to, uh, I say, be athletic at any point, right? You know, I refer, you know, I, I get a lot of skiers who want to advance in the bumps, you know, really be able to ski a bump running control. And, but so the end, you know, control is kind of the key for, for them. It's there, you know, I'm not talking, you know, our Olympic gold medalists or anything like that, mogul competitors, but you know, your average skier that wants to ski a mogul field, right? Get to the bottom in control. Um, and they end up very static and positional uh, and not really moving too much. And, you know, I think of the ability to you know, pull your feet up off the snow, 
right? That, or that sensation that you could hop a little bit and that there is, you know, in a bump run, there's no, for me anyways, there's no two bumps where I'm doing exactly the same movement pattern or either the same amount of, or the rate in which I move has to vary because, you know, the, every bump is different. Right. And so that ability to, to hop off the snow at any point, I, I like that. That's a, I totally agree with that. Um, you both mentioned balancing and, and that's sort of the first block. When you think of, uh, of windows of opportunity to teach kids these fundamentals and these, these skills that they're going to need, if balancing is the first block, Sasha, what's sort of, the next most important thing, like where do you build from there? Once a kid is like establishing some balance and, and moving well, where do you go from there? Yeah, so I mean, there's, 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 we have balance and athletic stance. One, two, it's that outside ski domination and active weight transfer. Three is the upper body is discipline. We forgot two more, the three more. There's lower legs engaged. And that means, you know, you have ankle flexion, you're driving the knee and you're in, you're able to internally and externally rotate your femurs relative to your hip. So internal stuff like, but the, it's just in general term, it's engaged. You see a lot of nice looking skiers out there on the mountain, you know, their body's in the right position, their angles are all right, but nothing's going on. There's no movement in the, in the, in the edge into the snow. That's because usually the lower legs not engaged. There's something that's not connecting that to the edge. Um, snow contact, just the ability to maintain the skis on the snow. And then the other one's a pole plant. Pole plant's fundamental. So to go back to that, which one's first? I mean, I I could almost tell you who the fastest U U uh, twelve skier is on the mountain by just going from the base lodge to the lift. <laughs> by just watching them skate. I bet you can. You get a pretty so, good hunch, anyways. So to me, it's, it's the, how that, you know, the lower leg engages that active weight transfer and the balance. So if they're in balance, they can, they can skate that they have the ability to roll the edge, you know, pinky toe edge, big toe edge, and being connected to that edge, they can generate power and they can have a little bit of glide phase. So those kind of three together is to me, they, 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 they go together. You work on one, you, you chunk it out a little bit when you have to learn a specific skill. But um, which one comes first? It depends a little bit on the on the situation you have at the time in hand. I like that. Um, one of my mentors growing up as as a coach, uh, Gord Brown, used to break it down. This is years ago: edge, balance, pressure, pole touch. Like those are just four things. And I think it, the more I think of it, instead of edge, balance, pressure, it's the edging and balancing and pressuring like you set up a platform that's obviously a moving target the balance is a moving target on top of that platform and then adding pressure and adding more edge angle from there and the pole touch sort of ties it all together warren do you subscribe do you subscribe to that a little bit as well like set up the platform balance on it and then like sasha's saying use engage the leg to get done what you need to get done Absolutely. I, you know, I think that there's, we talk about platform creation and then depending on your, your outcome, if it needs to be a skidded arc or a short arc or, you know, whatever your outcome <laughs> is required to be at that time, uh, then you do something with the platform, right? And, and, and then you reap the rewards of it, right? And you glide in the direction that you've redirected your momentum, right? Idea. So, um, 100%. And it's, it's all the ability to use that adductor group of muscles to, to you know, the lower leg, right. To, to create, you know, get on your platform and then define how much you want to, to use that platform. And there's a lot of times, you know, in my world where my students need to have to twist the ski on the surface of the snow, you know, they're, they're, they're just not going, they're not on the equipment or the snow conditions to allow them to just utilize the, you know, the bending of the ski and the pressure and, and that of the ski to allow them to carve an arc on the pitch, right? Top to finish. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's that ability to, to do so, but there, you don't start that 
without a platform, right? You just, you, you, you balance on a platform as your momentum is still gliding to the fall line or that most Eastern or Western point on the, <laughs> on your path where you're going to redirect, you know, the mass where it's going. So I, I, Sasha, I watched some of your videos and you talk about the apex. So at that, you know, to that point, right. So um, I, I see a lot of skiers try to, there's the skills of, I think there's a lot of straight ski hangovers for, <laughs> to be honest. There's a lot of skills that are still being taught out there that aren't maybe not, not that they're not necessary anymore, but they're just not as prevalent and you know, relevant to today's equipment and, and stuff. So you get people just trying to pivot, right. You know, and twist the ski on the surface of the snow without actually balancing on it. So they're not finding a place of balance and they're hoping that, the friction that they create from twisting the ski pivoting is going to hold them up. <laughs> right. And then they typically out of balance and stuck and hope for the best. But yeah, I agree with, with that idea of, um, you know, balancing, creating a platform, redirecting again, relative to what your outcome needs to be. If you're in a bump run or a steep black run where you have to have a short turn, whatever it might be. Um, and, and then, spending the time to, to undo that, create a new platform and away you go. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, share your thoughts of the day with us at thenextroompodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Next Room Podcast. Now back to our conversation with Sasha Rierich and Warren Jobbit on The Next Turn. Warren, we spoke the other day about um, the outcomes and, and I, I mentioned that I like the idea of empowerment, teaching the skier or giving the skier the tools and the understanding of, of what they want the outcome to be and how to do it. How do you go about taking those skills and, and, and making the correlation with the student or the athlete to this is what you get. How do you talk them through that? Um, I first and foremost, you know, kind of prescribe. So here's the action that I want to add to your scheme. You're going to take this body part, move it here, move it here, whatever it might be. You roll the the foot. You use the adductor group. You know, whatever. You know, twist, turn the femur and the hip socket. Whatever it might be, the movement that I'm prescribing. So here's what it is, and then try to relate to an internal and an external cue. So internally, we all feel things differently. You and I could be on the exact same equipment, the same slope, so doing the same move, and you would perceive it or feel it differently than I would. So I would add the part, you know, say, you know, when I make this move, you may or may not feel this. You give them something that to search for, you know, a sensation, more weight on the ball of your foot too. You might, you know, feel the shin on the front of the boot a little bit more. Um, and then there's the, the outcome, right? The external. So, you know, you'll feel more, you know, you know, the, the ski gripping a little bit more, the arc will tighten your speed will slow down on the pitch or speed up on the flats, that kind of thing. So there's something to search for. So where you prime the student with contribute, if you give this, this is what your may or may not happen. And then as they're skiing, they're reflecting, in action while it's happening. And they're searching for those feelings. They're seeking to notice if their turn shape changed or to, if their speed control was able to stay under control going from a flat to a steep, which is you know, what most ski and you know, students want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so you give them something to, you prime them for something to look for. So when they stop, it doesn't matter if it's an aha moment, oh yeah, I got that, or an oh no moment, I didn't get it, it's learning, right? It's the understanding, if I give this, this is what should happen. This time it happened, oh, I'll do that more. Um, it didn't happen this time, let's figure out why and, and try it again. Uh, and if they understand what the you know, effect of their contribution is, at the end of the day, um, then you say, okay, well, if I was to take, if I was to go into a steeper run now, then, or, you know, would you do this sooner or later in the arc? Would you do it more or less, faster or slower? Mm -hmm. And start to, to take that. And, and that's where the learning 
really starts to to become their own right then that knowledge of contribution effect becomes their own knowledge and they can take it all when they're you know you don't have an instructor and a coach watching the thing i it kills me every time is watching instructors you know the student they say hey, try this they don't justify why there's no priming as to what may or may not happen student tries it student stops with a blank stare on their face says so did i get it <laughs> And they say, no, no, you didn't do it again. Or, yeah, you got it, let's go. But the student doesn't know why they got it, what they did, and they don't know if they get it next time because there's no nothing for them to, to reflect upon. So that's where, you know, that, that's the part that I try to engage with my students but other instructors when they're working with their students is you've got to give them, prime them with what may or may not happen, give them that uh, desire, what the outcome may or feel like and what it's going to do for their skiing so because the instructor is only there for it's a little bit different right when I when I had athletes that I'd coach on weekends for an entire season uh, versus a student that you know, when I first started teaching skiing you know, it was you know I'd get six one-hour privates a day the Sunshine Village in the ride by the time you get to the top of the first chairlift ride you've got two runs and then you're wrapping things up because you got to get them back to the ski school before you get your next lesson and you, know, you give them a couple of quick tips and, and that was about it. Um, you know, so there's that time frame reality that as an instructor, more and more snow schools aren't selling, you know, an hour private anymore. So you can actually spend time to teach cause and effect or contribution and effect. So the student understands. So when you're gone and they're on their own for a year or the rest of their one week ski vacation before they ski again the following calendar year, you know, they've got something they can take with them. <laughs> Sasha, how uh, I like the Warren's concept of, of uh, contribution and and an effect. How important is it that a young athlete understands what they're doing compared to just being able to do it? So I think that's probably the biggest difference in where I'm going with coaching skiing now is um, I'm going at a, more of the effect of like I want you to go here. And there's three cornerstones that we're trying to achieve at all times. And those three cornerstones are what lead to fast skiing. And that's pressure in the falling. So the center of mass is redirected while the skis are in the falling. Number two is we reduce drag. So the drag on the snow, drag on the, you know, uh, air drag as well, friction on snow and drag, air drag. And then we're also trying to go the shortest distance possible, right? Now, depending on the situation, one of those becomes more important. Typically, pressure in the fall is most important. And one of the two other ones becomes more important relative to the other. So really, in every type of training session, we're focused on at least one of those trying to execute that. And we're trying to move in such a way that we're getting around the gates or the hill or the, you know, it can be just the mountain. We can just say we're relative to the fall line, we're doing we're putting the pressure in the fall line, just putting blue lines down the side of the hill. We're using the groomer lines down the side of the hill. We're bending the ski up against the wall and we're releasing it as it comes out of the fall line. Um, so it's much more so uh, the task at hand is we're trying to do one of those two, three things or a blend of those three things. Um, how they achieve that is up to them to find the solutions. We may give them some advices and we may give them feedback. Hey, on those two left foot turns, you're not doing it or you are doing it. So they get the sensation of whether they're doing it right or wrong, the feedback. But really, we're trying to teach them to be able to feel the feedback themselves so that they're getting their feedback themselves. That, oh, my God, putting the pressure against the phone. So an example of this would be to constrain them to actually ski a tighter arc. We don't tell them how to do it. We just say, you're going to ski. Here's the arc you're going to ski. Now go figure out how to move and figure out how to go there. So it's a very different approach. I think we're trying to get it to exactly the same thing. Warren, when you hear uh, Sasha talk about the constraints and using some of those environments that he gets to create, whether it's blue lines or course or, or what have you, um, how do you, how do you approach that without those environments? Like when you're mm -hmm. on the hill, just on the hill. Yeah. And the number of times I, uh, you know, I've had a, a student out and then I look over beside me and there's a, a training course going on with different environments with brushes or 
whatever might be going on with the, a race club that you see, oh, man, if I could just create an environment like that. Uh, but then, you you know, depending on the level, you know, there's, of course, a first time skier is going to be a flat, basic pitch, you know, and, and you set up some poles and they, you know, so little brushes or cones, whatever, and, and stuff. But, you know, you look around the mountain and it's not a lot different. You know, there's, there's rollers everywhere. There's the edges of, uh, you know, of, um, of a cat track, you know, there's the, uh, the groomer tracks you know, in the morning, but there, you know, as long as it's safe, you, you know, say, you know, you've got a fence or trees on one side and <laughs> don't go any further than this. There are ways that you can create those parameters or environments for a student on the mountain, moguls, trees, uh, you know, going from, there's some great places where I ski where, you put your left foot could be in the crud and your right foot's on the groomed, you know, so your left footed turn, you're off into the crud and then you're coming back onto the groomed with your right foot and the other side of the hill and you've got the same on, on the other side. So um, there's a lot of different terrain opportunities to create those sensations when a, like, I mean, when you prime a student as to what it is, you know, this move will produce that, you know, so somebody who's never heard of, you know, an intermediate skier, It'd be hard for them just just to send them down a you know you know a half pipe and you know <laughs> figure it out. But there's opportunities once they understand. Oh, if I move my body like that, oh yeah, now I'm on my outside ski. Then you can quickly get them into uh, different pieces of terrain and and stuff to create that um, if then scenarios right oh if i do it here i outworked <laughs> oh that time i didn't i was still on the inside ski or whatever it might be and i think we find that there's there's a lot of places you can play on the mountain and you know again there's i encourage instructors and coaches you know, you know when your kids are out free skiing to find anything but the groomed blue terrain drives me insane right i try to spend the least amount of time possible <laughs> there and and find opportunities for people to explore and and understand you know when they've got it or when they haven't gotten it i like that put them in the deep end every so often um i want to change gears a little bit here and and sasha throughout your career it was interesting to hear your evolution of how you had your roles and, and they they developed what's the biggest change that you've made in your coaching teaching approach over the years what's like what are the big lessons you've learned and how you changed like i think technique is all pretty similar but how we teach it has sort of evolved what's your evolution been there yeah i would say that my evolution's been more for like here's a specific technique or a a specific movement pattern we want to achieve um that's where i was we we really went and worked hard at, at, at achieving that to that leading to some athletes having great success an example of this would have been like, you know, when Ted Ligeti started winning in GS, we tried to teach every athlete on the national team, whether they were junior or World Cup or Europa Cup skier, to ski the turn like Ted Ligeti. Now, when you go back to that, those, those cornerstone models, Ted was reducing drag better than any athlete in the world by phenomenal amounts. So we said that was the magic trick. Um, he was skiing around a line that was that was relatively normal for everybody at that time. So, but he was doing it with way less drag and he was able to do it on really turning courses in, um, and put the pressure in the fall. So we were like, that's the magic. So we went and taught that in certain skiers who have a very short initiation, who, who just their initiation short time, couldn't do it, struggled. And they went backwards and went backwards, but we just kept going. No, Ted's the best in the world. We got to teach this. This is the technique. This is the, this is the, the way the American way of skiing. <clears throat> and, you know, I look back and I look at, you know, Nolan Casper getting on the podium in slow, completely different style and, you know, completely different style and realizing that, you know, it's not a technique. It's not a movement pattern that, that would leads to great success. It's there's certain cornerstones that said, this is what leads to fast skiing. If you've got these fundamentals and you learn to express yourself in your own way to achieve these cornerstones, you're going to be relatively fast. Now, if you add the speed generators to it, you're going to be even faster. And speed generators just mean skating, pumping, swinging. 
ski to ski, tip to tail, swinging, pumping, you know, just like you do on a pump track, pumping, pumping the turn. You can generate a little bit of speed skating on flats. When you're coming out of the start, you got to skate. So those are the three. That's it. So my coaching has evolved from very technical oriented. This is how you move. This is the right way to move, you know, from the French style of here's how, you know, here's when you plant your pole. Here's how you do it to the other side of the spectrum of like, this is the environments that we have to figure out how are you going to express yourself through this? Um, with that said, I'm still like, you know, you know, a Nazi, very drill oriented for certain basic fundamentals, which I know lead to the ability to do that. And balancing that, my new challenge is how do you balance that with continued freedom of expression, go out there and have fun, explore what is possible on skis. I love that. Warren, what's your, what's your evolution been on your side? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. You know, when I first started as a, I'll use my course conducting career, right. As, as an example, um, I, I would take a very old fashioned way of, you know, you've got to look like this, right. We turn our legs to look like this. You've got to have separation, you angulation, inclination, uh, that sort of thing. And, you know, that started on straight skis and evolved to, you know, the type of equipment we're on today, but there's, yeah, it was very much a, a very prescriptive, um, way of, of delivering knowledge, right. As opposed to teaching the student, we talk in, you know, in Canada, a lot about student centered teaching, but it was, you know, that we, you know, that was a, a decent way of looking at it, but it was okay for how, how is my approach going to work with this particular student, <laughs> as opposed to how is my approach going to change because of this particular student, right? So that was a big eye-opener for me was starting with the student and then working back to the skills and the knowledge that I have as an instructor, coach, um, to enable them to achieve their goals of getting down a black run for the first time, skiing bumps for the first time. It gets to, there's a, a very fine line between being able to express yourself freely as a skier and then pass a certification course in today's world. I'll be honest, right? That uh, there's still a, uh, I still believe that there a lot of top instructors and, and course conductors are looking for a particular look about their skiers to tell them if their skier is skiing efficiently and effectively, right? As opposed to looking for efficiencies and effectiveness in their skiing and then noticing you know, the, the, the silhouette or, you know, as Sasha mentioned earlier, and, you know, you know, I, I, I ski differently than the skier beside me and they ski differently than the skier beside them. And it's funny because I was the head coach of the inner ski team in 2019 and I, I broke my leg in January that year. So I, I wasn't on snow. I, well, I was standing at the bottom of the demonstration. So, so I had more time to actually really witness what was going on in snow in front of me. And I was standing beside the Italian head coach and he asked me as my 10 skiers were going to ski down, he said, so which one do I watch to see which one, you know, which one's your technique? Because they all look different, right? You couldn't, you know, there were commonalities, right? If, if I do this and this is going to happen, great. So they're all kind of doing that to create a, a very similar turn shape because uh, they had to ski synchronized, you know, or as a group, um, synchronized, I hate that. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, uh, there, there was no one athlete or ski instructor that represented the Canadian technique, right? But they're, they were all doing the, you know, they all had the same fundamentals that they were using to you know, stay together as a group, right? And, and, and match turn shapes. But you could take snapshots of them all in, in the fall line or just after the fall line, and there'd be slightly you know, varying degrees of separation, varying degrees of angles, one a little bit more inclined, one a little more upright. But if you look at what the skis are doing on the snow, they're doing, it's very similar, mm -hmm. right? We had a person on the team that was 6'2", and another one that was 5'2", 180 pounds versus 110 pounds, and different length skis, different shape skis. So um 
that's changed in, in my teaching career to come backwards and look at the athlete or the, the student and figure out what strengths, what knowledge do I have to help them achieve their, their goals. Um, Sasha, when Warren talks about the guy who's six, two, and the other one who's five, five something, um, I think of you speaking of trying to get athletes to ski like Ted Ligety. Now I, I, I think in our evolution as coaches, as parents, as in humans, the more time we have, the more experience we have, certain things become more important to us and certain things we don't care about anymore. Like it just, we, we come down to our core beliefs. Saying that, how do you, when you're, let's go back to the U14 kid. There's the U14 who's six foot 170 and there's the U14 who's five foot 80 pounds. Often those coaches that are working with those athletes don't have years and years and years of experience. How, how can we explain to them? What's the best way to explain to them that it is an individual interpretation of those cornerstones that you speak of that need to be developed and understood? And how, how do we guide that process a little bit better? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's using, let's use Warren's example. Warren nailed it right on the head when he said, all the skiers skied the same radius whether they were different skis different heights different weights they skied the same radius so that was the task that they had to do as a clone and as long as each individual athlete sticks to that radius that they're doing they're achieving it now from a visual perspective we're all tricked we want it to look a certain way and we got to get rid of that mentality Mm. Out of say that sport. again say yeah, that again that mentality has to look in a certain way you know like moneyball remember in moneyball in baseball like those 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 scouts were all sitting around the room going how he looked how it felt how it smelled man it don't matter in performance what matters in performance is, is figuring out what are the key indicators key specific indicators that lead to better performance and in both warren's case and my case if you're in balance if you move in such a way that you're in balance, you're going to be able to perform the different tasks at hand. But the movements that you're going to do, whether you're six foot tall or you're 70 years old and no strength anymore, and you have to be really stellarly stacked, or a 13 year old who's skiing skis that carve way too much for the actual course, those movement patterns are all going to be very, very different. What's important is to encourage each one to find the solutions find their own solutions because those solutions are going to be their solutions that they're going to be able to ingrain in that myelination and that flow of movement going through. So that's where I'm shifting to teaching is like totally that other sense. Now there's certain things that I'm steadfast on. Yes. We're going to ski on the outside ski. Why? Because we can be in a stacked position. The outside leg can be in a longer position relative to the inside ski when we're making a short radius turn you're much stronger in that extended position than you are in a flex position. Do we do it a little bit on both skis? Yes, we're probably gonna establish that. We're probably gonna go towards two skis, but there's still the majority of the forces are on the outside ski. That I'm fundamental on. How we get there is individual trick. Don't just stay, stay on the outside ski. We find ways to move there that are unique to you. The other one that's steadfast to me is discipline with the upper body. If you're, if you're dropping the shoulders in the wrong place, you're never going to be in balance. If you're putting the platform on edge by dumping the hip or dumping the shoulders or inclinating the shoulders, instead of, you know, rolling the ankle knee, those are things that are kind of, that are important for me. Um, what Amen. I yeah. I mean, an active weight transfer active weight you're like you got to be able to go from one foot to the other and i and i and i harp on this a lot because of probably the you know at the elite level i never had to talk about it. didn't even didn't even remember that there was a difference between active and passive weight. but when i came down to the, the younger ages when i when you evaluate a kid skiing that looks good that skis slow and a kid that looks like shit but skis fast if you break it all down to everything it's the kid that transfers the weight in the transition is the one that's fast. So, damn, that must be important. <laughs> that's why. I, and, a lot of color, and we have a lot of great skiers coming out of Colorado right now. 
and in Colorado on that super grip, perfect snow, you can be relatively fast in your peer group without active weight transfer. So they don't learn that skill. So that's why I'm, I harp on that one. That one's you know, a pet peeve of mine right now. As always, thank you to our friends at 4951. Check them out at 4951.com for all your Lisky gate safety and ski racing needs. Now back to our conversation with Sasha Rear and Warren Jobbit on the next time. On the pet peeve, I often, when I ride the chairlift and I'm looking at either a ski instructor with their, with their group or a coach with their group, there's certain things that I see that just trigger me that bother me <laughs> that either they're doing and wasting time on or doing something close, but it's not like you see the kid doing is not working. Um, for a moment of levity here, Warren, what, what are some of those things that drive you nuts on the chairlift? Like what's like, I'll go first for me. When I see, like, when I hear the term, put your hands up forward, like put them forward and they're skiing and they got their hands out forward and they got their butt back and the kid can't move and his hands, but like it, it may be well-intended, but it doesn't always pull off. That's my pet peeve. What's your pet peeve, Warren? Ass to the grass. Ass to driving the grass. me, drives me nuts. Um, you know, I, there's this crazy preoccupation right now that I see and, and, and you see it on YouTube videos and stuff that guys post and, you know, their butts touching the snow and, and that kind of stuff. And they still shot and everybody's like, yeah, this is amazing. And, but it's not a, you know, maybe in that moment, it, it looks good if that's your goal to get your, your ass to the snow, but you know, most people are just dumping the hip. They don't create a, a platform with their outside ski. They're not developing a, their platform or their edge angle with their lower body, as Sasha was talking about. Ground up always, man, just ground up. But they're just trying to move their butts to the snow to look a certain way. And, and you know, I can get away with it here. You know, I'm at Sunshine Village, Rocky Mountains. Uh, the firm snow is soft, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I got yeah, side cut. I got a nice big fat tail on my skis and a narrow waist. And I rock back onto that tail, drop my hip down to the snow, leaves a pencil line behind me, but I'm using like $20 worth of my $800 pair of skis or what have you just, and the tail's just pushing me around the corner. And I look like the, those guys in the photo, but the ski's not bending. It's not like, you know, and I'm, I'll be 50 in a couple of weeks here. And I just, I can't do that all day. I can actually get a steeper line of inclination, get the ski over more without getting my ass to the grass and have the whole ski bending and the shovel pulling around the corner as much as the tail's pushing me. And, you know, it's more effective, more efficient for, for me and for, for most people. So it's the ass, the yeah, long answer to short question, ass to the grass pisses me off. You're not a fan of the hip drag challenge. Sasha, <laughs> what's your pet peeve? <laughs> Uh, you know, the hip drag challenge is a fun one. It's a way for them to go out there and learn to express themselves. You know, wait till I introduce the elbow drag challenge uh, in, 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 uh, in lieu of uh, Ted. You know, I think those when you watch those guys do it, it's a way for them to express themselves. Yes. And I think that's the, the important part of it. And I think we as coaches or instructors often go like, no, that's not right. And yeah. I'm, I'm as guilty as it is everybody to say, no, that's not right. And, but there's a certain point where like, okay, go do that, but now go to the extreme. The other side, yeah. can you put your shoulder yep. on the ground? Yeah. Can you put your shoulder on it? So do the whole turn with inclination or put your elbow on the ground, like do the opposite of that. So bracket yeah. it the total opposite way. Find those parameters. Yes. Yeah. So that's where I think that's where we can go. Don't do that. No. Okay. Do that, but also do the opposite side. Yeah. Um, what my pet peeve is, uh, turn early and get above it oh vague terms you don't like vague terms um we've ingrained into the into our nation pinching by that turn turn early turn early get early get on it early and then the second one is get above it get above it so we've moved the apex so high above the turn that you can't make a turn and we start the turn double turn triple turn and that's ingrained into our skiers and i'm seeing that starting at a young age and it just keeps ingraining, ingraining, ingraining. Um, 
so to me, it's like let's understand, let's get a let's get a common simple vocabulary, uh, an understanding of what we're trying to get to and how to get there. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in America on this, and uh, I think America is probably you know worse off than Canada on this issue on the vocabulary side of it. But um, yeah, that one, that one's that one, that one's that, that's my pet peeve because because you're so high above the gate, because you're so early, you're not putting the turn in the right space. You're going to do something else technically to get around the gate. So what are you actually doing? You're ingraining those technical movements that are not right. Um, so, and it takes years to try to break those. Amen to that. Language matters. Sasha, can you talk about what you're, when we talk about it, the what a u14 all the way to a world cupper is trying to do what are they trying to do in their boot with their boot what do you want to see what do you want them to be able to achieve so first uh foremost let's start at the footbed level having a footbed that allows the the foot to pronate just a little bit um that yes there's some support there but that the that the foot can pronate um 10 8 to 12 degrees somewhere in there um that that's important um, and then working away up a neutral boot. Um, let's start with neutral boots, zero, zero. Cannon on the bottom, zero. Cannon on the cuff, zero. Um, let's start there. Let's go out and ski. Um, yes, there's going to be some that uh, extreme that we may need to, you know, can them in a little bit or can them out a little bit. But let's keep the boots very – let's really go with a neutral boot. Um, so much I, – I mean, I see so many athletes can it out, can it out, can it out. And then these, these stiff footbeds that um, don't allow the foot to pronate. So, yes, it may be faster on a 20-second course, totally smooth, perfect snow, perfect rhythm for what does, you know, that situation. But it leads to unadaptable skiing. So, really keeping the boot neutral, easy footbed that you can pronate, critical. And then the next thing I see is we go up from the binding um, is kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, – higher heel so we call it you know plus one or plus two in the, in the heel somewhere around there so that we have some heel lift but nothing extreme not like the five millimeters in the back or or the the, the gas pedal where they lift the toe um, all those things are going to limit your ability to move um, so you know those 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 would be the three areas that i that i kind of check all the time when athletes come to the program and as soon as you get there, yeah, they're not as fast initially, but then you can teach them how to ski correctly and they find the mm -hmm. movement patterns. How much flexion do you teach? Or is it just being on the front of the boot or is it bending the boot? Well, that's a good point. That's a very good point that, you know, the, the boot needs to match, the flex of the boot needs to match the athlete's ability. Um, I would say, I probably don't bring that up as, as part of four or five years ago, we saw way too stiff boots in America racing. I would say that that's, that's improved dramatically. Um, and right now I would say that for the most part, what I saw at the, at the, the fist level in America athletes were in a, in a generally appropriate flexion of a boot. Um, but yeah, a boot that's too stiff is going to limit you. Yeah. I, I, I was spoke with Warren. I, 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 this is one of probably one of my pet peeves too. And all the athletes I've ever worked with, I probably met, five, six kids that have, that I thought this kid needs stiffer boots, right? And everyone else is probably on the other end of the spectrum. Um, Warren, what's your philosophy with the boots there after hearing Sasha talk? Yeah, I agree with all, all what you guys are saying. You know, I, I had, uh, you get a lot of guys who guys, gals that, you know, they've become an expert skier. And so they believe they need the stiffest boot, a plug boot. You see so many instructors in, in plug boots um two things there's the the stiffness of the boot can inhibit the, their ability to to balance right um you know if, if you look at the the majority of time here you know especially western canada um we're not skiing on race surfaces not even close right we're soft snow that maybe got you know we haven't had any fresh snow in a couple of days so it's been packed down by skiers and groomers and but the ski can, you, know, you can still sink into the snow and create a platform, no problem. Um, and, you know, you, so you match a, a, a soft, most of them are on an all mountain type ski as well. So you've got a, a soft surface that you're on, 
a soft flexing ski and a really rigid boot and it doesn't work. Right. Um, so you've got to get that match in there. And then the other, you know, if you, if I get people, I say, okay, well, <laughs> you know, you dig downsize their boot and I want the race fit, you know, and that goes, I remember when I raced back in the eighties, you know, like, geez, like you just went down a size and then boom, now you're in the race fit and you buckle it up and it's super stiff and that you couldn't keep your boots buckled up all day, um, buckle them at the bottom of every training run. But so you get people in a boot that they're, they're downsizing and I take them out of their boots, bring them into the day lodge. Well, not so much this year because of COVID, <laughs> right? You go, go into the lodge and you strip right down to their bare feet and just ask them to stand on one foot, lift one foot off the ground, just kind of poke them in the shoulder and all the little adjustments where they're not balancing with their hips or their shoulders they're balancing in the foot. You can see the muscles working and the foot tweaking. And I said, if you can't, if you can't do that inside, you know, I don't want your boot foot sliding around. That's not it. But if you can't activate the muscles in your feet, how are you going to see your, your balance balancing is going to come from bigger joints, higher up in the body. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not going to start at the foot level. So it's the fit and the stiffness that, uh, that I look at and the ability to, to pronate, to use the foot to, um, to balance is really key and fundamental for me. I like that a lot. And, and, that just goes right off what Sasha was going on with the footbed too. I, I love that idea. Just a softer, like we, we need the foot to be able to, to move in there for sure. What's the one thing you would like a coach to hear Sasha, like the one takeaway, if you could just, this is going to stick with them. Is it meet the athlete where they're at? Is it, is it adapt to them? What, what is it that you want them to hear and take away? Well, I mean, I think for me, it's been like, my journey in skiing and why I continue to journey down this road is because every day is learning. Um, every day is learning. Every time you go out and work with a different athlete, um, every time you read a new book, it's like, how can you apply this to your craft? And uh, so every coach, you know, that it's listening or every instructor that's listening is like, um, how, what are you going to do tomorrow to continue to learn? What are you going to do to continue learning? And uh, that's why I love the sport. Um, I think right now we're at an exciting time where, you know, there's a lot of good science that's coming out there in other sports that we can, we can apply, um, to skiing. I think we've got a, you know, a, a very, we got a vocabulary that we have to refine for sure, but the vocabulary that we're, we have is all a lot internal inside the body. And you learn about, you listen to any podcast or read anything that's going on right now is how do we get that outside? How do we get there? our focus points outside the body. Um, so I think as a, as a community, we've got an unbelievable opportunity to like, you know, reshape how we teach, how we talk about skiing. And uh, I think it's, it, it's a cool point to, to be a part of right now. So enjoy it. I love that. I love that. Warren, what do you want them to hear? Uh, ski instructors. You know, I want them to remember why they, became a ski instructor why why are they a skier you know the wind in the face and the smile at the you know on everybody's faces the the second they make their first turn you know or or make you know accomplish your first black run without falling down or losing control and i think that's our jobs is to remember that you know if we don't create lifelong ski enthusiasts that we are and passionate skiers then we don't have a job. So that's our job, right? You get out there and it, whatever it takes, it's not a set methodology. It's not a set technique. Right? It's, it's how do you pass on your passion for just, you know, listening to your boots creak in the snow is, you know, when you get to the ski hill and you got your boots and you're walking to the first lift before you put your skis on or the, the sound of the, the cable going over the, the bow wheel, you know, on the way up or the wind in your face for the first time every morning. That's what gets me fired up. And that's your job, Mr. Ski or you know, Mrs. Ski instructor. You, you've got to get out there and make sure you pass that passion on. Yep. And the technique and methodology are tools. Pay it forward. Amen. Make that happen. Yep. Um, thank you both. I think it's really going to be interesting. Again, the reason I, I wanted the, the two of you on is 
when I go back and forth between coach world and instructor world, it, it sometimes feels like uh, I'm late for the prom each time I go. Um, the language is different and the philosophies are different, but my experience tells me that it's really not right. The essence of the sport is the same. So thank you very much for, for both of you sharing it and, and doing it together. I think it's a lot more powerful. Okay. Can, can I jump in for one second here? Just absolutely. You know, I think some of the more memorable experiences I've had also in the last years of kind of revamping how we're teaching skiing or what we're doing at the U.S. ski team level was was bringing Michael Rogan in and, and the PSI team of, of, of guys that were the demo team at the time and doing a full week camp at, at Snowbird. Um, I mean, we skied, the goal was nine to four, take a lunch break, but ski nine to four, seven days in a row. And then in the evening, talk skiing. And we did this with World Cup skiers to development, you know, first time development skiers. And, uh, you know, that was an unbelievably rewarding week of skiing. It helped my coaching staff as the U.S. ski team tremendously. Uh, and, and then, you know, further that, you know, having, having demo team skiers from Austria come and be our, our return to ski type uh, person or uh, work with our athletes in, in, in the middle of the season, just going like, let's revisit athletic stance, but from a different perspective. So I think, you know, some of my re very rewarding aspects of, of, of working within ski instructing world have, have come from um, those experiences. And I plan to build that in at Apex 2100. I mean, just before this call, I was interviewing an Italian instructor of instructors, a demo team skier from Italy. Um, he, you know, he, he's just a refinement of techniques to bring that into the ski racing Academy world. So it's there, it's part of it is, is, is fundamental. So, I mean, what you're doing, Martin is awesome, you know, bringing our two worlds closer together. And I really appreciate it. Uh, it's something that I tried to do at USQ team with PSIA. I think we had moments where we're really building it and, you know, it's falling apart a little bit, but um, I believe in that mission. Absolutely. Welcome back. Thanks so much to Warren Jobbit and Sasha Rurek for an amazing conversation that Kind of hurts my head a little bit thinking so hard about this stuff, but I love it. A lot's going on in my brain. Jeff, what is going on in your brain? What are your thoughts of the day? Well, Martin, I mean, we've had long conversations about skiing and ski racing over the years, but um, I don't know either of these guys, uh, but I can't wait to meet them. Uh, I learned so much in a brief conversation that you had with them. They clearly know a lot about skiing and ski racing. Uh, I love the fact that Sasha talked about the intangibles, about mind, heart, and courage, and that you have to have those. And, and that's true in any sport if you're going to go to the next level and that elite level. That it, and that's what it takes to get to those levels. You've got to have the mental game. You've got to have the heart, the drive, the motivation. has got to be in you. And, you know, yes, we can foster that as coaches, but they got to want to do it. And, and lastly, they got to have the courage to put themselves out there and say that they're going to try and reach those goals, which I, I, I found fascinating. And I will finish before I kick it to Kara and say that I'm so happy to hear that a level four ski instructor and the top, one of the top coaches in the USA are speaking from the same, same playbook. These guys clearly talk the same, speak the same language and ego wasn't involved at all right? Which I think gets in our way sometimes. They went on a camp with the U S ski team and the PSIA. What is that ever, would that ever happen in Canada? I'd love for that to happen in Canada. Why, why can't we get there? And uh, it made me think about the next turn podcast camp, Martin. So when we get to travel, where are we going? Hey, Kara, we got to go and do, do this one week camp snow ski from eight to four or nine to five. Of course, we'll have lunch and maybe a couple of bevies along the way. But Kara, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm all in on that, Jeff, 100%. Um, for me, there were so many great takeaways from this conversation. It was really like an all-you-can-eat buffet for coaches and snow pros who have a, a hankering for knowledge, if you will. Like I said in the opener, I'm a big proponent of continuing education for coaches. And I'll be forwarding this episode to the coaches in my program at Georgian Peaks. But if I had to pick one thing that resonated with me 
as a program director myself, it would probably have to be when Sasha said that he can tell who the fastest U12 or U14 skier is on the mountain just by watching them go from the base lodge to the ski lift. It seems like such a rudimentary skill, but just watching a skier skate can magnify important necessary skills, how the lower leg engages, active weight transfer, balance, and the fact that they have the ability or not to roll the edge and generate power and glide. These are very, very important skills. Uh, and to hear someone of Sasha's level boil it down to this, oh, I, it's so simple. I loved it. Martin, what are your thoughts of the day? That simplicity is my takeaway too. Um, Phil McNichol said a few episodes ago, a, a good coach distills complexity. And both of these two did an incredible job of taking vague terms, making them simple, but specific at the same time. And I really enjoyed that. As, as somebody who's crossed over as a, a ski instructor to a coach and back and forth a few times, I've seen these two different worlds. And I was a little nervous sometimes when you put these, these two mighty powers together in a room for this conversation. And I love the fact, like you were saying, Jeff, that they came out speaking the same language. It's same, same, but different but still the same as the kids like to say coaching a kid or an athlete is the same stuff. It's refined a little bit teaching a beginner or an expert is the same stuff. It's just refined a little bit differently. And I love that. And I think the way that they do it, they both do it. They take creating sensations and, and create tools for empowerment. So the skier can figure out, what they need to do to get the outcome. It's not getting confused with how it looks, how it's supposed to seem from, from a bystander. It's the outcome. And I love that. I've been called once or twice in my life too clever by half, at least by my father. He's called me that. And I think that's sometimes a tendency that we get into as coaches and instructors. We try to use words that we don't quite get or concepts that we don't quite get to, to sort of boost ourselves at the table. I, I love the saying, if you can't explain it with crayon, don't bother. Right. So keep it simple, keep it pure and keep it outcome oriented. These two were incredible. Both of them reached out after this conversation and said that it was encouraging to, to hear that their peer on the other side of the spectrum spoke the same language. I took a lot of um, comfort in that too. So thank you to Warren Jobbit and Sasha Rurek for an incredible conversation. We hope to see you back here on the next turn soon. Be well.